Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. Let us sing Today, for Spirit in Action, we're heading to central Wisconsin, just outside of a small town called Rusholt, to a camp maintained by the Wisconsin Lions Club. Each year, about 300 Quakers descend on the camp for three days, the Northern Yearly Meeting Annual Session. In addition to the rather typical camp dining hall, there's another dining option called Simple Foods, cheaper but also more eco-friendly. One of the participants of Simple Foods this year is Anne Hippensteel, and she caught my attention because she is nearing the end of her year on what is a radical change to the diet. Anne took the 100-mile food challenge and has limited her intake to food grown within 100 miles of her house. Given that the average food item on an American table has traveled about 1,500 miles, Eating local means a dramatic savings in energy used for transport, and it switches dollars to local farmers from food conglomerates and the other middlemen. But one of the biggest associated changes is the quality and the flavor of the food and the sense of place that brings. To get you in the mood for food and a visit for Anne Hippensteel and her journey with Local Food Challenge, let's listen to another Wisconsin native. Clay Rhinus and his song about home cooking, Victoria's Kitchen. Victoria's Kitchen is a place I like to go. Lots of healthy things down there, don't you know? And let me tell you this it's a good thing. She keeps lots of great things there in little baby jars. Stuff on the counters and the keys to the car And let me tell you this It's a good thing Sometimes it sings of fresh bread Sings of whole wheat Plenty of molasses Raisin and apricot muffins It's where she makes the cookies and dries the wild chives Eats up the coffee and keeps it alive on the oven Victoria's kitchen will be my kitchen too But when the time comes to paint it I say honey it's all up to you And let me tell you this 
It's a good thing Food for the dogs is on the floor in the corner Sure knows how to handle this tired old performer Let me tell you this It's a good thing Sometimes it sings a fresh breath Sings a whole wheat Plenty of molasses, raisin, and apricot muffins. This wishing makes the cookies and dries the wild chives. Eats up the coffee and keeps it alive on the oven. Victoria's kitchen got a good share of grace Ain't no complaining when that smile is on my face And let me tell you this It's a good thing Just want to hug her by the window and tell her that I love her Talk about the winter and it's white snow covered Let me tell you this It's a good thing Sometimes it sings of fresh bread Sings of whole wheat Plenty of molasses Raisin and apricot and muffins It's where she makes the cookies And dries the wild chives Eats up the coffee And keeps it alive on Kitchen's got the liquor in the cabinet Cleansers in the sink And a print of a pomegranate Let me tell you this It's a good thing There's a clock above the stove And a good set of pans Mouth beneath the fridge And now he's in the trash can And let me tell you this It's a good thing Sometimes it sings of fresh bread, sings of whole wheat, plenty of molasses, raisin, and apricot muffin. It's where she makes the cookies and dries the wild chives, eats up the coffee and keeps it alive on the oven.
That was Victoria's Kitchen by Clay Rhinus, and I agree, it's a good thing. Let's turn to today's Spirit in Action guest, Anne Hippensteel, and her experience with a year of eating locally. Anne, thank you so much for joining me for Spirit in Action. Well, I'm very glad to be here. Thank you for asking me. I actually heard through your daughter that you're going through a year of eating locally. She engaged in the experiment with you, although she's dropped out. But you're going for the marathon run. It's a year-long thing that you're going to do? That's correct. She and I started at summer solstice last year to eat only local foods. I pledged to go for a complete year until um, summer solstice of this year, 2009. And she pledged to go as long as it made sense to her. She lasted five months, and the two of us worked together on putting food by in anticipation of going through the winter and spring, eating only local foods. So different people have different definitions of what is a local food. What is it for you, and how do you actually know that something's local? Well, it required a lot of research on our part to find out who in our area was producing the foods we felt we needed, and our intention was to eat healthfully so that we had all of the nutrients we needed. I need to say that we were inspired to do this local foods challenge as a project of Sustained Door, which is an organization that I belong to in Door County. It's an organization, it's a nonprofit, 501c3, whose mission is to promote the economic, social, and environmental sustainability of Door County using the natural step framework and process. Those are the exact words of the mission statement. So one of the things that Sustained Door promotes is sustainable agriculture. And sustainable agriculture almost by definition requires local production of foods to be consumed by localities because it cuts down on the need for transportation of foods cross states, cross country even, which is a heavy polluting activity. And also when we buy local foods from local farmers, we're supporting our local economy. And we are also more aware of what kinds of maybe chemicals might be used in in terms of fertilizers and pesticides and that sort of thing. We can speak directly to the growers of our foods and ask them whether they give their uh, cattle hormones or whether their chickens are kept in cages. And, you know, we can do all that kind of communication. So what was the specific definition that you and were using of local foods? How, How local did it have to be, right from your town? Well, from Sustained Door came this challenge um, for people to sign up to do a 100-mile food challenge, meaning I think it was identified that it would be 100 miles from the borders of our county. Now, our county, Door County, is this peninsula that sticks out into Lake Michigan. And so when you take 100 miles from the county seat, which is Sturgeon Bay, you get a lot of water. (laughs) So 100 miles, I just went to a map then and took a compass and scribed a circle around Sturgeon Bay. So it's 100 miles as the crow flies in my definition. The challenge from Sustained Door was very open. It said that the rules were kind of whatever you made it to be. You could go a complete year eating only local foods, 
or you could do one locally sourced meal per week for the three months out of the summer that the farmers market was in session. Or you could, you know, you could do whatever you wanted to do. But the the idea was to challenge oneself as an individual, and to support local agriculture and sustainable agriculture. So, my daughter Sally and I chose to do as close to a hundred percent as we could. We have exempted salt, yeast, and other leavening. So we eat salt, and we, you know, we make our bread with yeast, or my cornbread has baking soda. Or baking powder in it. Other than that, everything else is local. All of our dairy. She's a vegetarian, so she doesn't eat meat, but we eat cheese and eggs. We have our own chickens for that. But all of our produce, all of our fruit. We live next to a cherry orchard. They also grow apples and plums and pears, I think. So we got things like that to put by for the winter. And it really, there was quite a sense of bounty after the end of the growing season. But Anne, does that mean you didn't include spices? What about you know your cayenne or your cumin and all these kind of things? Where did you get those, or did you just not use those? You've gone spiceless for the year. There were some sacrifices made along those lines, I would say. We didn't use cinnamon. We didn't use cumin and chili powder and that sort of thing. However, we did do a lot of drying of herbs. We had basil and thyme and sage and mint and parsley and celery celery leaves. So we had quite a few. There were mustard seeds. Um, We even harvested Queen Anne's lace seed, which is a wild carrot seed. It's kind of furry and a little bit strange, but it was kind of a nice addition to like a cauliflower soup or a squash soup. So yeah, there were some sacrifices made along those lines, but we weren't exactly eating bland food. There were plenty of ways to spice up our food. You mentioned, Anne, that one of the alternatives was you could just do one local meal during the growing season here, during the farmer's market season. And it makes sense to me that this would be a reasonable, easy enough thing to do during the summer. The thing that I think I would dread, which I had go with some some fear and trepidation toward, is trying to do it through the winter because Door County, Wisconsin, is not you know a tropical paradise where you can pluck something off the tree. So does this mean that you had no fresh foods during the winter? We did rely heavily on that which we had frozen or canned, but I would say I can name you some fresh foods that we that stored well. We had potatoes and onions and squash. We had a cabbage that lasted probably to December. I had apples, I had carrots. I grew sprouts on my windowsill. I had grown some aduki beans that um, my friend Kathleen Plunkett Black saved from her seed-saving operation and used those instead of bean sprouts. And I also had good success sprouting collard seeds, bok choy seeds, kale seeds, dill seeds. I can't think of any other at this point. I also attempted to grow lettuce in flats in a sunny window, but there just wasn't a lot of sun, so I had meager salads throughout the winter. Let the wild winter wind bellow and blow I'm as warm as a July toe May Peter.
Peaches on the shelf, potatoes in the bin. Supper ready, everybody come on and taste a little of the summer. Taste a little of the summer. Taste a little of the summer. Grandma put it all in jars. Well, there's a root cellar, fruit cellar down below. Watch your head now and down you go. Peaches on the shelf, potatoes in the bin. Supper ready, everybody. Come on in and taste a little of the summer. Taste a little of the summer. Taste a little of the summer. Grandma put it all in jars. Maybe you are weary and you don't give a damn I bet you never tasted her blackberry jam Peaches on the shelf, potatoes in the bin Supper ready, everybody, come on in now Taste a little of the summer Taste a little of the summer Taste a little of the summer Grandma put it all in jars Oh, she got magic in her, you know what I mean She puts the sun and rain in with her beans Peaches on the shelf, potatoes in the bin Supper ready, everybody, come on in And taste a little of the summer Taste a little of the summer Taste a little of the summer Grandma put it all in jars But with the snow and the economy and everything I think I'll just stay down here and eat until spring Peaches on the shelf, potatoes in the bed Supper ready, everybody come on and Taste a little of the summer Taste a little of the summer Taste a little of the summer Grandma put it all in charge I go down to see Grandma, I gain a lot of weight With her dear hand, she gives me plate after plate She cans the pickles sweet and ill And the songs of the whippoorwill And the morning dew and the evening moon I really gotta go down and see her soon Cause the canned goods that I buy at the store Ain't got the summer in them anymore you bet grandma as sure as you're born I'll take some more potatoes and a thunderstorm Peaches on the shelf, potatoes in the bin Supper ready, everybody come on and Taste a little of the summer Taste a little of the summer Taste a little of the summer Grandma put it all in jars Yes, Grandma Put It All in Jars. That's by Greg Brown. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and my Spirit in Action guest today is Ann Hippensteel, who took the Eat Local Food Challenge. So she did put the summer's bounty in jars and in the root cellar and ate locally all through the long Wisconsin winter. A reminder, this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can always play our programs via our site, 
northernspiritradio.org, and you can also subscribe via iTunes. We love to hear from you, so please post a comment when you visit our northernspiritradio.org website. And you're closing in on a year of having eaten food grown and produced within 100 miles of your home, which forced a lot of changes, maybe limitations on what you ate. What was your experience? Was this feast, was it famine? Was it in between? Did everybody lose weight? I mean, was this a family effort, by the way? No, not really. We Well, there are three of us, my husband and Sally and I left at home. And so it was just Sally and I. However, John eats what I put in front of him, and so he ate a lot of local foods because that's the way I was cooking most of the time. It was some feast and some famine, and there were after, there were times after Sally dropped out of the program where she uh, didn't want to eat my food, as she called it, because she wanted it to last for me through the whole year. Yet she really missed it. She missed the cornbread I made, or she, I'm trying to think what else she maybe missed. Um, the pickles. Oh, we have some really good pickles that some friends of ours made with some vinegar that I, I don't know, created myself. I didn't really do anything but leave it open on the counter for several months, and it first fermented and then soured into vinegar. But those pickles were really good, and she refuses to eat them even though she really likes them, so... So in that way, it's kind of famine, and I have to say, yes, I miss the chocolate, and I miss my Earl Grey tea, and there are things I really miss. Christmas was hard for me because there were all these wonderful things around that I couldn't eat, but I am very glad that I didn't eat them. I've lost 15 pounds. It would be nice if I kept those 15 pounds off. I don't know if that's going to happen or not once I allow myself to eat non-local foods again. But mostly the foods I eat are wonderful. I, I really like the bread I make from the local grain that grew on the field in my neighborhood, and I grind it myself, and then I make the bread, and it's wonderful bread, as all homemade bread is. And the cornmeal also is ground from corn that I grew. It's a a Hopi blue flower corn. So it's the one that makes those blue corn chips that you see. And so that that makes wonderful cornbread and chips and things like that. Tell me a little bit, Anne, about the process you went through to identify where things come from, because some of it comes from your neighboring fields or the orchard right next to you, and I think that's pretty easy. But there's a lot more ingredients, which I suppose are a little bit harder to trace. And did this take you know hours, weeks, days, years of research in order to be able to eat local? I, I don't know that eating local is completely obvious. Well, when you define your local area as 100 miles, you'd be surprised what you can find. I'm not eating any refined sugar at all, which is a good thing and accounts for my weight loss. But I can get maple syrup and I can get honey. And there's a man down near Elkhart Lake who uh, grows sorghum and processes sorghum into sorghum syrup, which is delightful. It's an acquired taste, I think, but it reminds me of maybe liquid brown sugar or something like that. So that's uh, that's what I use primarily because we bought a lot of it. Yeah, we did the, a lot of research ahead of uh, June 21st last year. You know, we started anticipating it in March. And um, so I just had my antenna up for anything that was local. And I learned there's a man in Chilton whose parents collect hickory nuts and 
you know, crack them and pick them and make them available. And those have been wonderful additions to my um, to my cracked wheat breakfast or um, or just in a salad with dried cherries or you know it's wonderful what one can make I really miss salad dressing olive oil for instance the only way I really make salad dressing is by taking a local cream and putting my local vinegar or pickle juice in it and sometimes I will put onion and garlic and dill maybe in it and it's pretty good but it's not um, it's tiresome (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you know my salads have dried tomatoes in them and I, so there's some good things there it's just kind of repetitive did you end up learning new recipes did you have to acquire and change your recipe stock in order to be able to do this year of eating locally no i mean there were things that i had never done before such as making the vinegar that you know i needed to have a new recipe for we made and canned spaghetti sauce and green tomato chutney that's really nice. And we made ketchup. I had never made ketchup before. We made salsa. I've done that before. Pizza sauce. I've done that before, too. So I really didn't have um, new recipes. It was just making sure that the ingredients that I used were ones that had been locally produced. For quite some time, um, when we first began... Sally, who drinks milk, didn't have milk um, because I was not aware of a place that I could get milk. And I would go to local farmers to ask them if I could, you know, buy milk right from the cow. And they were very reluctant to let me do that because it's, I guess, it's illegal. But it just seems unusual and kind of inappropriate to me that a farmer would sell his or her milk for, I don't know, a dollar eighty a gallon and then have to turn around and buy the milk for their own consumption at $3.80 per gallon from the grocery store. Likewise, um, another commodity that seems odd to me that's not available is oats. They grow in our county um, easily, and and they are grown as a, a cash crop, but there's no way to prepare them for human consumption because they have a hull on them and you need to dehull them. Unlike the wheat, for instance, that I can buy right off the field and just go ahead and grind that and and eat it. So a farmer would grow the oats and sell them for a certain price, but then if the farmer wants oatmeal for breakfast, would have to go to the grocery store and buy some oats in a cylindrical box with a Quaker on the front. And that seems just almost bordering on absurd to me. Was the absurd part the Quaker on the oats? No, that's just a... An inside joke. (laughs) The absurd part is that farmers can't eat that which grows on their land. I've read somewhere that the average item that's coming to our table has traveled something like 1,500 miles, and uh, that's kind of amazing. So you've cut that down to one-fifteenth of what it takes normally to do it, and, and with all the resultant reduction in pollution and so on that you've added to this. Clearly, you're concerned about the quality of the food you eat. You're concerned about the environmental impact that you have. Why is this a big deal to you? This is a big deal to me because I see some threats coming down down the pike here. They include not only pollution but a scarcity of fossil fuels, which our com- our whole society is dependent upon. 
And also, of course, there's the threat of global warming, which frightens me because because I have children and I hope to have grandchildren someday and I want them to be comfortable and to be able to be able to live in ways that um, I've been able to live, which is happily and comfortably. So sustainability is a big deal to me, and it's why I'm heavily involved in Sustaindor in my county. Besides supporting local agriculture and being concerned about the healthiness of my food and the healthfulness of my food, I just wanted to see if it could be done because I wanted to know if it would be possible in Door County for our entire population to be more self-reliant, at least in terms of food, because if if it gets really bad, we're going to need to rely on one another in a local, in a communal kind of way, in a community way. We are heavily dependent on trucks because of our geography being a peninsula. The truck traffic comes every day and brings everything we need, almost, to our county. And the degree to which we can be self-reliant is dependent on how we can support each other in community and do for ourselves, provide the things we need with local resources. So I just wanted to see if it was possible to survive on a completely local foods diet, um, not that we would never have things traded into the, our county, but, you know, just, you know, in an emergency, could we do it? And I believe that we could, but we would need to prepare ourselves in five basic ways. We would need a grain mill that would grind grain for human consumption, and it would include a dehuller for dehulling the oats so that we would have a variety of grains to provide a variety of nutrients for our basic breads. We would also need, I believe, an oil press operation of some kind. Because right now what what a locavore needs to depend on in Door County would be butter for fat, or also, I suppose, animal fats like chicken lard or whatever. So it would be really nice if some of the, say, um, sunflower seeds that are grown in our county could be pressed into an oil that we could use here. That would be very nice. We have some friends who live in Surgeon Bay who have a little greenhouse right attached to their home, and they have citrus growing in their greenhouse, including lemons and key limes and uh, calamondins and kumquats, and on occasion they would bring me some lemons, and, and it was such a treat. I didn't throw any of it away. I ate the rinds and everything in some capacity. So it was very nice. It seems to me that we could ramp up our greenhouse capacity to extend the production season on both ends of that season and also to grow a variety of things that wouldn't otherwise grow in our climate, like the citrus and maybe some other things as well. This same couple that has the citrus in their greenhouse just recently, and it's May only, brought me a zucchini and some cucumbers. So it's possible. I know of some greenhouses that are for sale right now in our county, and it would be so nice if uh, somebody could pick up that business and contribute to our local economic development to support local foods, local sustainable agriculture. So that was three items. What's the fourth and fifth? Well, one of them is a distribution network would be important because we have growers that would like to sell their local foods and we have restaurants 
and grocery stores that would like to buy local foods, but neither of those people have the time to go and find each other. So we need some sort of a network that is set up to help get the local foods from the farm to the restaurants and to the groceries. And there is some effort in our county to do that. Our local agricultural extension agent is working on that, and there have been some sort of summits where the producers and the restaurant owners have gotten together and talked about what they're willing to do and what they can do. So there's movement in that direction, but it would be very, very important. And if I think of the fifth one, I'll let you know. So you said, Anne, that you took this on because of environmental concerns. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that this is part of a pattern of your life and, and that I'm assuming under it, because I've known you for quite a while, that there's a spiritual component. You didn't mention anything specifically about that. You were talking really about fairly practical things. Yeah. Can you say anything about how this fits in the pattern of your life, spiritual, how you see it? I mean, it seems to me that eating locally feels different in a a way that's non-tangible? Well, when one is connected to one's food in a way that I have been in, in the last year, one is always aware of the provider. And by that I mean not only the farmer that grows it, and I don't mean the distributor necessarily, and I don't mean the cook either, but I mean that entity that provides for all. You know, we say a grace before we eat our local food, of course, and that is a, um, it's a grace of gratitude to the provider that provides everything for us. I, I can't really define it much more because it's so vague for me. Sometimes that provider is, we can name that provider Mother Earth, or sometimes we can name that provider God, or sometimes we can name that provider Creator. But there is always an awareness that these are gifts to us, and there is a sense of gratitude all the time when we are connected to the food in the ways that we have been this year. Yeah, and I, I do talk mostly practically about it, but when we're talking sustainability, it's not just about environment and we, we struggle sometimes with that definition. Sustainability is also about local economy, which I've talked to that aspect of, of sustainability a bit. But it's also about providing for the needs of, of our fellow human beings because you can't have a sustainable community, a sustainable society, unless the basic needs of everybody are met. So it becomes an ethical sort of consideration to talk about a sustainable society because we're talking about right sharing of resources and we're talking about not just basic needs like food and shelter and water but also that which sustains us spiritually and it could be what could we name that happiness contentedness love all those things are needed for a sustainable society and um, there's been some research done that supports the natural step framework for sustainability by a man who is in South America. He has made an inventory of the human needs that must be met, and there are a good 12 needs that must be met, but only one of those needs are those basic food, shelter, water needs, and the rest include all of these other affect 
sorts of needs that human beings must have. Creativity. So it's important to meet human needs beyond even those that are required to survive. And sustainability includes all of that. And so there's a basic ethical effort involved in sustainability, which appeals to me. So, Anne, if somebody went into your house, would they somehow immediately identify that you're a locavore, that you're concerned about sustainability? Does it jump out, or do you just look like every other house on the block? Well, we look like every other house on the block. However, if that person sat down to the table with us and shared a meal, they might notice that our bread is rather coarse uh, and that we're eating things out of jars, you know, that we've canned ourselves. So they would notice that. Otherwise, we look like anybody else, I think. Are there other aspects of your life besides the food that would give them a clue that you're connected with sustainability? Are all of your clothes home sewn? Uh, Who knows? I mean, there's so many ways that one can be connected with the land. Yeah, we try in... I'm basically a homemaker by trade. We have raised our children in a simple manner, I believe. Our clothing is mostly secondhand clothing. There's so much clothing available, and I believe that we could survive on the clothing that exists right now in our county if suddenly the truck stopped running, for instance. We'd just share. But, yeah, we make our living, actually, as a uh, we have a renewable energy design-build engineering firm. My husband is a, a registered engineer in Wisconsin, and he designs renewable energy systems, mostly photovoltaic, that is, solar electric and solar thermal systems, but also some wind electric systems for residences and farms and commercial enterprises. So that we are able to make our living that way, and it feels good to us because we know it's it's something important for a sustainable future to be able to not rely so heavily on non-renewable resources. And is your power at your home all self-generated, or are you on the grid, or how does that work for you? We're connected to the grid, and we do generate all of the electricity that we need. Well, I should say we are a net producer There are times when we need to draw from the grid. If the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining for many days on end, we would take from the grid. But we are a net producer, meaning mostly we we give back to the grid because of all of the renewable energy that we have installed at our home. You know, you are an alternative, Anne, for me to interview instead of calling up Barbara Kingsolver. Mm -hmm. She wrote her book with her daughter, animal vegetable miracle and that title caught me because she included the thing miracle in there and i'm just really wondering if there were the moments when you transcended because of this you're eating locally and all of a sudden something different happened a miracle happened has that enlarged for you because of this experience have you felt this special spiritual change or is it pretty much just a You know, it's a 12-month program that, uh, you know, I'm getting through month 11, and now we can go to this food. I am probably less spiritually involved than some people. But, you know, Mark, it's, it's always a miracle to me to put a seed in the ground and have it perform the way it's intended by creation, I guess, to grow into something that is beautiful and nurturing and sustainable. 
I mean, just just the fact that that happens is a miracle. It's a miracle that our bodies function the way they do. You know, that you consume food and it does what it needs to do and gets all of the nutrients needed in all the right places to all the right cells in the body. And then the waste materials can be used to continue the cycle of life. It's just uh, an excellent design. And, you know, I can't think of a single engineer who could design a system so complex that would function. It's it's quite amazing that way. I'm wondering about the role of community in this. Mm. Let me start with one of the things that was a potential problem, I'm assuming. When you're associating with other people, you want to have a shared meal, and they say, okay, meet me at the restaurant. Well, I think that doesn't happen anymore for you. I think this has been 11 months of restaurantlessness, mm-hmm. uh, probably no potlucks. Did this mean that your social life went to hell? It was a barrier, I suppose, but there are ways to get around it. And those people who understood what we were doing were very able to adapt And you're right, I haven't been to very many restaurants. There are a couple of restaurants in Door County that can do local foods and do on occasion, and and they're striving to do more of that. But the potluck thing did happen, actually. And all last summer we hosted once a week a potluck picnic at our home. And it was very nice. It was a local foods potluck picnic, and it was explained that it was about local foods. So people would you know, try to figure something out and bring things. And it was delightful to see what they came up with. And uh, there were a lot of good things shared. Also, people brought extra produce from their gardens that they had too much of. So there were some exchanges and sales as far as that. So we had sort of a midweek farmer's market at our house. But the community thing is so, so important. Because we did the research, we met new people. We got better acquainted with some of the producers in our area, and I like to think that we are friends as well. I don't think anybody could do it in a vacuum. We'd have to do it in community. I I told about my friends who had the greenhouse, and they just thought ahead of me even what I might need and what I might desire for variety, and they would bring me things that could be used for uh, spicing up the food and that sort of thing. We had friends who lent us the grain grinder that we're using, which when I look back on it now, I'm very, very grateful for um, because I had a a hand grinder and tried that for a while, and I thought, this isn't going to last very long. But this other grinder that we have is a a champion juicer with a grain grinding attachment to it, and it's pretty slick. It makes it a lot easier. But, right, the community part is so important. There was a young man who grew garlic, and then there was the couple that did our pickles for us, and another woman did some vegetable juice, kind of like a V8 juice, only it was only a V7 juice for us. And it was so nice to be able to count on these other people to do some of the work that was involved in stocking my shelves, because even though we enjoyed the work and spending time with my daughter was just very wonderful, it was nice that other people could could help us out with that. Ain't nothing in the world that I like better than bacon and lettuce and homegrown tomatoes. Up in the morning and out in the garden, get your ripe ones, don't get a hard one. Plant them in the spring, eat them in the summer. All winter without them is a culinary bummer. I forgot all about the sweating and the digging. Every time I go out and 
pick me a pickin' Homegrown tomatoes, homegrown tomatoes What'll life be without homegrown tomatoes? Only two things that money can't buy And that's true love and homegrown tomatoes Salad, put them in a stew. You can make your own very own tomato juice. You can eat them with eggs and eat them with gravy. You can eat them with beans, tin or navy. Put them on the side, put them in the middle. Homegrown tomato on a hot cake griddle. Homegrown tomatoes, homegrown tomatoes. What a life be without homegrown tomatoes? Only two things that one came by, and that's true love and homegrown Life I lead, you could call me Johnny Tomato Seed. Cause I know what this country needs. It's homegrown tomato in every yard you see. When I die, don't bury me in a box in a cold, dark cemetery. Out in the garden would be much better. Cause I could be a pushing up a homegrown tomatoes. Homegrown tomatoes, homegrown tomatoes. What a life be without homegrown tomatoes. It's only two things that money came by, and that's true. Taste Treat from John Denver. The song was Homegrown Tomatoes. If you just tuned in, this is Spirit in Action, and I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet. This is a Northern Spirit Radio production, and one of the things that that means is you can go to our website, northernspiritradio.org. You can listen to this program and all the other programs that we've had over the last several years. You can post comments on them. You can find links that will help you connect with things like the natural step and about sustainability. You'll find those kind of links on my site. And you can find about the people that we're talking to. So please visit northernspiritradio.org and post a comment, too, about these programs. We always welcome your suggestions. Today, we're visiting with Ann Hippensteel. She's taken the local pledge for this past year, eating locally within 100 miles of her county for this past year. She's almost there, ending with the summer solstice. You said, Ann, that this grew out of an organization that's doing the natural step in your area. What's that organization again? It's called Sustaindoor. People who are interested in it could go to our website, which is sustaindoor.org. 
if they wanted to know more about the 100-mile food challenge and read some of the comments of people who are undertaking the 100-mile food challenge, they could click on the page that is called 100-mile food challenge, and there's a blog there and a forum that um, has comments from people that have been experiencing this project. But there are other in, there's other information about uh, about sustainability efforts in our county there, and some links to other places too. Yeah, and that was one thing I was wondering: how many people took this pledge with you? I assume you maybe have some kind of a support committee. You get together, check with each other once in a while. Most of our communication was through this forum on the website, but there were at one time ten people that actually took the pledge, and I'm not sure if they were going to do it for the entire year or if it was just a you know a one meal a week thing but most of the support we had for each other was through this forum and one of the questions i had about how you do this local eating you're here at this gathering northern yearly meeting a 3 day quaker gathering and i'm wondering if food is a challenge for you here i mean joan who's organizing the simple foods she lives more than 100 miles away. Is this okay to eat her food, or did you have to bring everything with you? Does it make connecting with the rest of the world difficult, even in a place that is very organic and local food friendly? I didn't require of myself that I eat local foods when I traveled outside of my 100-mile radius. The logical thing would be to eat the local foods, the foods that are local to the place that I'm visiting, However, the research required to find out what foods are available would have been insurmountable, I think, for any kind of trying to manage that eating locally. But if I were to move to another place, I would certainly do the research to see what was available there. So you've got just one month to go on this challenge, this locavore challenge that you've taken. What do you plan to do differently once the 22nd of June arrives, I mean, does this mean that you're going to go right out to McDonald's? Does this mean that you're going to start, have your first banana in a year? What cost you and what will you keep from this past year? That's a very good question. I've done some thinking about it. There are things that I'm doing now because of the 100-mile food challenge that I want to continue. I want to continue making my own bread. I probably won't continue grinding my own grain. I'm putting in a garden this year, but the urgency to put in a large garden with a, a major variety of things is not, it, it's just not there this year. This year it's a more leisurely feel to it, to the gardening thing. Um, I'm going to add vegetable oil back into my diet and not fry so many things in butter, just because I think that will be more healthful and I'll make my salad dressings with oil as well. But I will continue to support our local farmers. I will continue to try to find ways to make it possible for our county to sustain itself on local foods. I think it's really important for our economy and for the health of our society and just to prepare ourselves so that we are not so vulnerable in case of any kind of disaster, whether it's a truck boycott or a terrorist attack or a pandemic or just, you know, global warming. We, I, I think survival is going to require that we look more to our local communities for support and survival. So one last thing, Anne. Can you wholeheartedly, full spirit, 
recommend to people to give this kind of thing, uh, give it a try, give it a, do the experiment. Is it worth it? Is it worth it for virtually everyone? Yes, of course it is. Wherever one is living to support local agriculture, to eat more healthfully is a good thing to do, and I would highly recommend it. You know, even to do the one meal a week makes a huge difference to local farmers. And by the same token, it cuts down on that pollution and that absurd transportation of food from cross-country by quite a bit. So, yeah, it's really important, and I would recommend it. I don't know that people need to go a whole year at 95% as we have done, but it's possible. Well, I think it's been a great experiment you've been doing. It, it heartens me to hear that you've done it. You've done it well. And losing the 15 pounds, I could imagine doing this for a lot of years and still being bigger than I need to be. So it sounds to me like it's got uh, a great promise to it in that respect, too. But anyway, thank you so much for the spiritual inspiration of it, the practical, the care for the earth. Great work you're doing. Thank you for asking me. A place I go to pray. A 
love of which I'm certain And I thank God for each day A place to watch Orion And the sunrise in the east I've got enough, enough Enough is as good as a feast I've got an apple tree And I've got honeybees What else do I need? I've got enough, enough Enough is as good as a feast we ended that Spirit in Action visit with Ann Hippensteel and the 100-mile local food challenge with a song by a woman called Earth Mama. Her song was, Enough is as Good as a Feast. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice, with every song,